Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM, let's create. Being good at comedy was really hard for me because to be a good comic, you really have to master a lot of your demons. And that was the hardest part. Getting on stage, writing jokes, like that was the easy part for me. But I realized I really had to be able to be authentic, be able to like make eye contact with people, like shit that I just like never got, shit that I never learned. I had to like pick an opinion. Like so, you know, my shit was so much like, oh, you're into um punk rock I'm into punk rock you're into country music I'm into country I was like a shapeshifter just because I wanted people to like me so badly but that doesn't work in comedy you have to have a really specific opinion you have to say what you mean you have to mean what you say and you have to be okay with people disagreeing with you you have to want people to laugh at you but you can't need people to like you that was Whitney Cummings I'm Sam Fragoso and this is Talk Easy welcome to the show Hey everyone, I'm Sam Fragoso. This is Talk Easy, and uh, we've been on hiatus for the past month, but we are back. And uh, every Sunday morning from now through, I believe, Christmas, there may be one week off for Thanksgiving or something. But I think until Christmas, we will have a new episode for you uh, every Sunday morning. So um, if you like this show, or if you're listening for the first time, Um, Please come back and check out who we have on. So many good people have decided to uh, sit down with me. A short list includes uh, Peter Bogdanovich, Justin Simeon, Gloria Steinem, Laura Dern. There's other people too. Uh, Wesley Morris, 
so many wonderful, talented, smart, um, interesting folks. So um, if any of those people sound uh, a little bit interesting to you, be sure to come back. Uh, today on the podcast is Whitney Cummings. I love this person. I, I, d- I did not know her before having her on the show. If you're not familiar with her, I don't know what to tell you. You got to get familiar with her. She's one of the best stand-up comedians working today. And um, not only is she as funny as uh, the sort of work she puts out into the world, but she has a level of self-awareness that comes across in every bit of this conversation. And uh, so for the next hour, you're going to hear me try my best to keep up with her. Sometimes I succeed. Sometimes I fail. But... Uh, She is a wonderful stand-up comedian uh, who has a new special out called Can I Touch It? Currently available to stream on Netflix. It is uh, excellent, timely, really fucking funny. And um, I don't like to curse in the intros, but I just cursed. You know what? It's Whitney Cummings. I'm cursing. Forgive me. Like every episode of this podcast, I think we hit... Uh, a wide range of topics, including her upbringing in a crowded home, how she uses stand-up comedy to stay sane, things about the Me Too movement that we are in, her start here in L.A. as a young comedian in a field dominated by men, uh, primarily white men, and uh, really so much more. It it is uh, as fun as I think these episodes get, because uh, Whitney's fun, and uh so much more. I say this uh, often on the show, but I genuinely hope uh, this next hour is as fun to listen to as it was to record because uh, I had an absolute blast doing this. So uh, check out her new special. It's called Can I Touch It? It's genuinely good. I'm not promoting it because I have to um, or because I'm trying to be polite. It's actually just uh, wall-to-wall, very funny and um, vulnerable and honest in the ways that specials, good specials, sometimes can be. So um, it's called Can I Touch It? It's on Netflix now. And here, finally, is Whitney Cummings. It's like a sitcom falling in love moment. Yeah, that's good. She's like the sweetest person. Is that what we're doing? Falling in love? Well, yeah, I don't think so. I hope not. It's too early for that. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever fallen in love at 10. How many times have you been in love? What kind of podcast is Tell me everything. Only once? How old are you? 24. Okay, that's fine. That's too many times, frankly. Really? Mm-hmm. One time is too many times? Mm-hmm. I think Tim's rolling already, so this could be in it. Oh, is it? Is this starting? No, I didn't plan on it, but we can have it in here. Um... Well, what's your definition of love? That's probably... Oh, no. Because you might have been loved more oh, than you no. think or less than you think. Oh, I think I may have been loved more, I'm saying. But you asked me if, when I was in love. Yeah. I think it's one, maybe one and a half times. How long did it take for you to realize you were in love when you were in love? Like six months. Or so you think. Uh, six months. Is that enough time? What was... Depends on how much time you spent together and what your childhood was like. <laughs> Great. So how... What was the moment where you were like... I'm in love with this person. Um, I feel like I always find out through a negative. I'm like, that hurt. Oh, shit, I'm in love. Yeah. Can we curse on this? Yeah, you're allowed to curse. Okay. 
I, I don't. I don't know. want to though. No, okay. I'm working on changing my brand. What? <laughs> Your face. I know. I'm joking. I'm trying to curse less in general. I don't see. The thing is, I think you were joking and not joking. You just summed up my personality. Yes. I, <laughs> in one sentence, this, in a weird fortune cookie. The research showed that also. <laughs> really? Yeah. The research, because you don't know me. We've never met. No, we don't know each other. What do you think about me? I'm always curious. What what do you mean, what do I think? I don't know. It's just podcasts, like... What do you you think about me? I think you're... Well, I'll get there. But I'm just saying podcasts, you have to understand, for comedians, Mm -hmm. we're used to having a one-way loop. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of feet. there's, There's laughter, but having to like look at someone in the face and make eye contact with them. Podcasts are like going on dates. Right. Kind of. They are. And everyone gets to listen. Everyone gets to listen. And it's it's rare as comedians that we're like, so what do you, we don't get a ton of like verbal feedback from smart people. We just get like, ha ha, or like, fuck you, cunt, yeah. you know. I hope to give you all three of those things. Okay. <laughs> Genuine emotional feedback, yeah. laughing, and yeah. fuck you. And I think, thank you. I already am feeling that confluence of vibes but I also don't do a good enough job understanding how I'm perceived so I can spend the whole hour trying to fix it (laughs) why are you covering your mouth instead of laughing do you not want your listeners to know that you I'm amusing you no 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 you're amusing me I want people to know that okay don't not laugh I I was gonna almost cough and I was trying to protect it it was like so I'm making you sick is what you're saying I literally the moment you walked in was, you just started coughing. He looks done. nauseous. I, do I really? He's very pallid. No, you don't. Oh, thanks. No, I think you're very handsome. Oh. You're like pixie, pixie girl, pixie dream girl's dream guy. This is really a first, I'm going to tell you. What I just said? Yeah, no one said that to me. Really? Yeah. What do people say? What kind of monsters are you hanging no, out I'm with? No, I'm not hanging out with monsters. I'm just saying, the, sorry, kick your foot? Yes, you did. You okay. just kicked me. This okay. is not a... getting off on the wrong foot. No, Literally, no, no. your foot <laughs> just kicked my foot. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, something, uh, I don't want to give a perception. I don't want to offer a perception because mm-hmm. I have no interest in you spending an Period. hour. Period. <laughs> I have no interest in you. <laughs> You know what? Now I feel myself falling in love with you deeply. Uh, okay, great. Um, no, because I don't want you to have to spend your time uh, convincing me of someone that you are or are not. I already feel myself trying to convince you that I'm like hip. I God. show up to this podcast studio, you guys. It's like Nashville. You, I'm driving down this street. Everything is like so hip that it's painful. Like oh. Jack White built a street and I just parked on it in my dorky, like, normcore outfit, and then you came in. You look more hip than I do. Meh, I don't, I didn't, I forgot what your pants looked like. I only see your torso. Um, but you're, you're very hip. You're very, like, Nashville prom king vibes. Mm-hmm. So I already feel like the mainstream dork who's coming in here who doesn't have any bands on my playlist with the word wolf or fox in it. It's oddly enough I don't either so it's okay really yeah like you love Katy Perry plot twist (laughs) no but but I don't have any Fox or the sort of indie bands that cry while they're singing who's your favorite what band is like ever yeah no let me guess Sex Pistols. No. no. Beck. No. No. Um, Bright Eyes. You're not going to get it right. Come, I am going to get gonna it right. I'm going to have to actually okay, surprise you. You're going to be that be... like Bob Dylan, Bob Marley no. plot twist. First, I'm not going to let you answer, first of all. Okay. I'm not even going to let you tell me the answer. I'm just Is this what keep... it's like to be your friend, by the way? <laughs> no, I just am obs- I'm like so excited <laughs> to be wrong right now. 
<laughs> never been more interested in being wrong. Okay, that's a good thing. Good. It's healthy to be wrong. Yeah. Um, first, yeah, the first concert I ever went to was Stevie Wonder. <gasps> See, that's the coolest thing you could possibly say. You just outcooled yourself. <laughs> God damn it. It's not intentional. Okay, that was the first concert you ever went to. Where? Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago. Really? Where? Whitney. I tried to not Google you. Oh, really? You I'm tr- trying to you go. You tried and, and then I'm trying. <laughs> I tried not to. Um, no, I'm trying to not go into podcasts with like a plan. Yeah. You know, you said something uh, about being um, mainstream mm-hmm. coming in here. And you actually said the same thing um, uh, six years ago on the Pete Holmes podcast. Where you Are you like the new Nardwar? No. Uh, no, I'm I'm like How could you remember that? How well, would you know I that? I listened to it this morning in the shower. It's I'm perfectly so normal. So sorry about that. No, no, you did a good job. That was so long ago. You did a good job. And um <laughs> Yeah, I can do that. I don't care. Um you know what I like about Pete Holmes is that he manages to never ask a question. Um <laughs> Um, so six years ago, you walk in and you're like, I feel mainstream. Yeah. And you're some, alt. Yeah, you're alt. That's my biggest insecurity. Yeah. And I sense that it's still here with you. So can we go into that? What is that about? I think that as a comic in particular, and maybe I should just speak for myself, I feel like my biggest fear is being corny, you know, is is not. And this is the tragic irony of being a comedian, at least me personally, we're not making generalizations anymore. They're out. Um, is you really just want the approval of other comics. You know, you really just want to be cool, sometimes to a fault. Sometimes, like, I'll do jokes that I don't even think are that funny and that the audience isn't even into because I know the four comedians in the back are going to think it's hilarious. Mm. You know, like, comics would rather see other comics, like, bomb and be, like, alt and cool than get the approval of everybody, you know? Why do you want their approval? Because it's the only approval I'll never be able to get, you know? And I, I mean, I can tell you if you're really interested. I think I grew up in a home where I, I grew up in an alcoholic home, a home where I was very chaotic. I had to fight really hard for attention. Mm-hmm. I had to fight really hard for validation. As soon as I thought I got it, the next day I'd lose it. You know, I think I just... Your parents were busy, right? Your mom worked in PR. Yep. Yeah so weird uh yes mom worked in pr Why is that so weird? it's just i don't know i just i you're you're there's just not a lot of um podcasters anymore that are journalists you feel like more of a journalist to me um i've retired that yeah have yeah. you know but i just you know your shit you usually go to podcasts now and people we just shoot the shit and it's just kind of a conversation that i'm like why is anyone listening to this yeah no i, I don't know why people would listen to that you've really put work, thought into this well you drove you were on a highway you got lost come on yeah i did i got on like the four and the two and it was like sesame street out there but um your parents were busy were my you, parents you were busy. almost an only child your parents split at five i know that Yes. And then you have a couple step kids. I have, yes. I have a sister and then I have a half brother who lives in London. Mm. And I just grew up in a hectic environment. I was the youngest, which I think there's a pattern of the youngest child always becoming the performer. Are you the youngest? No, I'm the oldest. Oh, really? Oh, so you're the hero. I bet. How many siblings? Four. Four. Okay, yeah. Oh, God. So you're like prime birth order. Who was the lost child? Well, there's it's that's a little too complicated okay. because there's different parents they're listening. and it's a whole thing. No, 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 it's just different parents, oh. different kids. It's you know, a lot of divorces. Oh god. Okay, yeah, got yeah. it, got it. So got we it. have this in common. We have a lot in common, I think. Well, I think we'll but, find that but out. But you're cool and I'm mainstream. Damn it. I think you're actually much cooler than you think. But Do you for think? Yeah, yeah, but for some reason, and I think you're getting to it, uh-huh. there's a part of you that wants to undercut myself. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Yeah, I th- I'm working on that definitely and I think that 
you know, Ron Funches, I don't know if you know him. He's so great comedian. He called me out on that recently and I really appreciated it. And it was, you know, on my in one of my captions or something, I was like, oh, here's me and my crooked tooth or like I sort of did something to self-deprecate. And he was like, why do you do that? <laughs> like, it's not. And I said to one time my um, therapist, who's more like a 12-step sponsor, she I would go like, oh, I'm an idiot. I'm such a moron. I don't know why I'm dating this guy. I'm such a nightmare. I'm a monster. You know, I just have that. And she was like, why do you talk about yourself like that? And I was like, oh, no, I'm a comedian. It's like, this is what we do. We self-deprecate. It's like funny. And she just goes, it's not that funny. (laughs) (laughs) What I didn't realize is I was just like kind of bombing with myself, disparaging myself. And I think it's part of growing up. I grew up around a lot of malignant narcissists and people with borderline personality disorder. And a way to stay emotionally safe around them is to make yourself small and to not shine too bright, not you know, posture as if you're taking anyone's attention or taking their light mm. or making them feel small. So I think that so much of the way my personality was formed was to make myself small. And um, I'm not better than you. I'm not funnier than you. I'm not prettier than you. I'm not th- anything. So I think that um, putting myself down was a way to also avoid criticism from others. If I criticize myself first, there's nowhere for you to go. Mm. You know, like you can't reject me. You can't abandon me. You can't insult me if I've already done those things. So right. I think it was like a defense strategy that like isn't interesting or funny anymore. And sometimes I just do it out of <laughs> habit. And I am sorry about that. It is, it's lame. Well, I- I'm going to quote you. Um, you, oh, you. You wrote something in your book about trying to go a whole day without apologizing. Mm-hmm. And you lasted 30 minutes and you apologized for being early. So I want to say early on in the podcast. And I was late today. And I did I apologize for that? I hope so. You did, but it That's doesn't fair. matter. Okay. That's the last apology you need to do. <laughs> so we can move on from that. Can we do a romantic comedy called The Last Apology? <laughs> yeah. If, if you want to write and fund it and, and get it to Netflix, I'm totally in. They seem to be doing anything. That feels like a good yeah. movie I'd watch. Do they meet on a podcast? They meet on a podcast and then they go to Spain and... Every time she apologizes, he breaks up with her. Mm. So until she learns to love herself. That's right. So it's like 50 first dates. It's <laughs> so horrible. Yeah, it sounds awful. No one's going to watch this. Do movie. you have a moment in, in high school? Your voice is really hypnotic. <laughs> it's like ASMR. Is that how you say I always get that out. Yeah, I'm is. dyslexic, so I always get that wrong. I think it's ASMR. Okay. Uh, is there a moment in high school where you felt yourself not? Wanting You're like to the be Barry small. White of podcasters. Sorry, I'm just interrupting yeah. you to no, give no, you compliments. You, you keep doing your thing. Okay. So in high school, sorry. Did you end up at all have a moment where you thought, I don't want to feel small. I don't want to feel like this anymore. It's weird. It's like, I don't think in at that point in my life, I had I was so unconscious. I was such a puppet of whatever survival mechanisms and social construction and whatever my um, unrecovered Al-Anon adult child of alcoholic shit that I don't think I was even self-aware enough to be able to have made that deduction. I was just, you know, so interested in getting love and attention at all costs. And I was also, um, you know, I hadn't thought about this and you seem really educated around this stuff if you know the birth orders but also your the way your body is like I was the tallest in my class I was the biggest like I was already I don't know if it was the GMOs or mm-hmm. you know getting my mom drinking while pregnant whatever it was I was a foot taller than everyone 
until I want to say I was a freshman. So I always wanted to be smaller. I always wanted to be right. the same size as everyone, literally and figuratively. Did you so walk I could like fit hunched in. over? I kind of did. And I never, because I was obsessed with Doc Martens and I wouldn't wear them because they gave me like a little <laughs> half inch. Holy so cow. I remember like standing with my legs kind of out a little bit, you know? Um, Waddling? To, yes, to try to be smaller and to try to fit in with everybody. And, um, and yeah, I think I just, and look, some of that's primal and some of that's our reptilian brain. We want to fit in. We want to be a part of the tribe. We want to be like everyone else. I think every teenager has that regardless of their, you know, childhood. But I definitely, um, you know, no, I don't think it's been until the last five years that I've been it's like, new. yeah, very new. When you're like 17 and 18 and coming into some kind of consciousness <laughs> some kind it's like not foreign but it's like enough it's mm-hmm. enough to know something's going on um were you able to tell that there was something wrong with your mom drinking no the child psyche apparently because it would be so annihilating to us to blame our parents we have to blame ourselves mm. like we go our parents are perfect we're the ones with the flaws because the idea that your primary caretaker has any flaws or isn't capable is just too stressful for our psyches so i think really yeah and isn't that wild so i think for, like at no point was i like my dad's kind of a mess like i was always just like yeah okay this is just how reality works mm-hmm. you know we just all pretend that things are true when they're not like that's just being a person but like, you saw her drink I just acclimated to it. I just shapeshifted. You know, uh, that's, I think, what we do. We just sort of change ourselves in order to accommodate other people's limitations or proclivities. That's what I did as a kid. So it was sort of like, okay, after 7 p.m., you don't tell her important things. You just wait till tomorrow. Right. You know, because then you'll have to repeat yourself. <laughs> like, that's just, you know, and now as an adult, I find myself just repeating myself over and over again. And people are like, no, I know you told me that. And I'm like, oh, sorry. I'm just used to having to say things six times, you know, so I'm having to course correct the character defects that I developed around that, you know, and a lot of them I'm, I'm really glad I have, to be honest with you, a lot of um, the things, you know, the personality traits or strengths that I developed growing up in an alcoholic home have really benefited me as an adult. So I not like I'm such a victim. My life was so hard, you know, and, you know, I am in, I think most people know I'm in Al-Anon and adult child of alcoholics, 12-step programs. And, you know, you go in going like, here are all my flaws. Here are all the ways that I'm fucked up because I grew up in an alcoholic home. But I now, seven years in, I'm able to go like, I have this like superpower that a lot of people, you know, that didn't grow up that way don't have. But, But yeah, I mean, I definitely remember going like, okay, it's 630, go to your room and don't leave. You know, because nothing good happens outside. And I think that's a really big part of why I became a writer and a comedian, because I had to entertain myself a lot because it was just there was chaos outside the bedroom door. Um, But there are some negative drawbacks, you know, like I cannot fall asleep to save my life because at night my brain goes, this is when the shit hits the fan. You know, you got to be on high alert. You got to be hyper vigilant. You got to be high alert for what? Just any fights, danger, problems, you know. So I think that is also, you know, maybe a good thing in terms of that's probably a big reason why I gravitated towards working at night or a job where I work at night, because that's kind of where adult children of alcoholics come alive, (laughs) you know? Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's where, like, the chaos always was. I never put this together. (laughs) 
about my own life even i had not put this together i mean till right now i'm kind of happy for you and i'm sorry that i brought this into your no it's great space but i but you know for me it's like okay it's eight o'clock the adrenaline hits because that's how it always was the banging the fighting the crying the screaming whatever happened Mm -hmm. you know and then now it's going on stage and having adrenaline and being ready to deal with hecklers, other comics, right. being sharp, being on your game, being able to defend yourself. Because comedy is really just self-defense on, you know, some level. Is that how you see it? I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's changed. I think in the beginning when I started comedy, being a girl 12 years ago, it was like you were getting in the ring. Is mm-hmm. kind of what it felt like. It was like roll your sleeves up and you're going to fight a bunch of people, <laughs> like whether it's comics who don't think you're funny or don't think you deserve to be on stage or the audience members who are either getting up and leaving because it's someone just introduced a woman or they're yelling at whatever it is you know it's it to me it always felt like boxing you know like I was listening to someone talk about boxing and they were like you know the key to boxing is like loving your opponent and you become so bonded to them at the end like you're two men that fight I don't know enough about MMA but in boxing at the end like you're not closer to anybody than the person you just knocked out or boxed i don't know does that sound weird um it sounds deeply unhealthy <laughs> totally it's definitely stockholm syndrome at its finest yeah. but just you know i'm really at, like, <laughs> at its finest and i've had some pretty <laughs> high level stockholm yeah. syndrome in my day yeah uh yeah totally never good when that happens well i i think for me i'm so into neurology because to me it makes it's just and although it's always changing and we really kind of know nothing at all about the brain and I'm sure everything we know now is going to be debunked in 10 years but I do my brain likes order and truth even if it's false ten in 10 years um, but any kind of fighting anger that produces adrenaline and adrenaline produces dopamine which is why toxic relationships are so addictive mm. because ultimately as much as they suck and as toxic as they are you're producing adrenaline which later turns into dopamine which is a drug and it becomes addictive. That makes sense. Yeah. So to me, the biggest part of coming out of an alcoholic home or a chaotic home is realizing, okay, this gives me adrenaline. I need to stay away from this thing. Our phone gives us adrenaline. I mean, everything gives us. Um, you went to college at the University of Pennsylvania. You graduate top of your class. When you're done in 2004, you're smiling as I'm saying this. I know, because I'm just like... Well, I'm just fascinated because this year, you know, one, I don't know many comedians who graduate top of their class. I mean, I don't even know what that means. I, it looks, Do you think? It, it just, it just said it that. It says that on a website. It just said you, you did really well in I don't school. like, like, I'm not the top. Like, look, you did I was you the did dumbest well. person at Penn, so. Unlikely. That's, again, that feels... you don't need to say that here. Well, I also worked my ass off. and I think for me, by the time I got to college, I had already done all the partying and gotten it out of my system. I'm finding a way to make the, what you just said an insult. Um, yeah, I know. You think... What fucking asshole? Why would he say that? No, I just kind of, it was, it's so wild. This really is an interesting psychological exercise because I was just like, oh God, everyone listening is going to think I'm such an asshole. You know? Man. Like, oh, like I, I feel the need to, I don't know. I Maybe it's just, I also have a little bit of emotional, this is going to sound like such a 1% asshole problem, but I do think that publicly succeeding in any way is kind of a form of emotional trauma because you get so much hate when you succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think once I remember when I got a TV show canceled, I got so much love. The love that I wish I had gotten when the show was succeeding, mm-hmm. I got. And I think when you fail, people tend to go like, 
connect to you more or like you more or they can't criticize you because you're already they can't kick you because you're already down right. so i think for me i just as soon as you said something positive about me i was like oh god no they're gonna come for me yeah well look we'll get to the cancellation of <laughs> okay show. thank you so much i we'll can't get there. wait that's but that's 2011 oh god thank you so much the fact that you graduate um top of your class Doing communications, which is almost like a, a non-major. I don't know. Yeah, it really is. I, I know because I also. It, tried it to really do that. is, but can I tell you? I do think I got a lot out of my communications major. If if anyone's an aspiring stand-up, which I'm sure you might have a lot of those people as your fans, communications was a great major for me because we studied. It's kind of the art of manipulation, like advertising. Oh. And I studied George Carlin. I took a class called the First Amendment, and that's actually where I decided I wanted to be a comedian. Really? I studied all of the things that, you know, the things you can't say on TV, the Carlin versus Pacifica case. And you're allowed to say jackass but not asshole. And we talked about, you know, like all that stuff is just sort of mental masturbation exercises, which is kind of what stand-up is. Was he the first person that, that made it click for you? I... Remember growing up actually watching sitcoms and Roseanne, rest in peace, uh, was a big part of me going, oh, that's like you can make people laugh. And were you saying rest in peace to the show or to her? <laughs> to the show, yes. Oh, God. I really hope she doesn't pass in the next. Um, or soon. to her career. That, it, just the whole thing, the whole legacy, the whole. Boy. My attachment to the show. It really didn't turn out how I thought it would. It really did. It was a plot twist, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I do think a lot of people saw it coming. I just was too dumb to because I hadn't I hadn't been keeping up with her tweets in the last couple years. So I think I was, you know, really um, had a blind spot around all that. Um, But I remember Three's Company um, was really big for me. I remember going like, oh, you can make people laugh. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't put it together of like, I'm going to be a comedian. Um, Richard Pryor, I remember like just listening to and going like, oh, like you can make mistakes and do bad things and alchemize that into making people love you. Mm. Like the things that would normally get you punished or ignored or chastised or ostracized or that would make you a pariah you can use that to make people love you. So you use that to go to Los Angeles and start doing comedy. I know you worked on Punked right away. I did. I worked on Punked, which I got that job and only because my parking meter was running out. Um, There was like a cattle call. I was doing like hosting. I was doing like, like, hey guys, here we are. Like I was doing a lot of like hosting stuff and I Mm -hmm. auditioned to be an MTV VJ. I used to make tapes in my room to be like, hey guys, here we are in South Beach. Like just like. (laughs) No, do you want to do an audition right now? uh, I'm not going to get it, but I'm happy to. My biggest failure of my life was I went into audition for a show that Henry Rollins was making Mm. for like IFC or something. I'm from DC. Henry Rollins is a big deal for someone like me. I went in for Henry Rollins and I had it totally memorized. I was like going to nail it, nailed it in my bathroom mirror, no less than 50 times, walked in. Henry (laughs) Rollins was in the room. I started shaking and crying and sweating but like it it was like tears or sweat which one and I totally melted down and then I was like I'm never doing this again so I was like done with hosting but I did one last MTV VJ audition and I was so weird (laughs) I was just so bizarre and like making jokes and they were like um you should maybe audition for punk like they didn't know what to do with me so that I got that audition I showed up there were hundreds of people 
in a waiting room mm-hmm. at MTV and they're all like gorgeous and tan and glitter and handsome. And I just was like, I can't wait here for two hours. And the producer saw me go to look at the sign-in sheet where there was 10 pages of people. And then I was like, I'm not waiting. I'm never going to get this. Like my low self-esteem of I'm never going to get this. And then I started walking out and the producer was like, hey, what are you doing? Because of course, if you don't want something, they want you. So the reverse psychology accidentally worked in my favor. And they were like, hey, come in for this audition. And um, and then I ended up getting it just because I didn't try to be funny because I I just played everything really real. Uh. Like um, my bad childhood yet again showed up for me because the audition <sighs> first was someone saying, I'm going to insult you as long as possible and just keep coming back to me with insults. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is easy. Every, this is like a holiday. This, this is, is like Christmas morning at my house. Yeah, yeah, like, what do you mean? Tuesday. So they just kept insulting me. And because and, I did see people coming out of the room crying and I didn't mm. understand why. What were the insults? I mean, you've met me. <laughs> you can probably guess. I don't remember. It was like, you're ugly, you're fat. Like just the stuff that really would upset you. Mm. And I was yeah, just and like. By the way, when I see you, that's really what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, about. you know, it was just like anything to shake. Because they were trying to see who was unshakable, who was unflappable. Because yeah. punked is a really high stress situation. Celebrities are around. So they were just saying the most offensive, mean things to me. And I was just like, dad? Like I was <laughs> just like felt so at home. Um, and then I just kept going back and it just ended up being uh, good. kind of. They were like, okay. You're hired. Yeah. That was a genuinely good joke. Thank you. Really well done. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I got to give you credit when you when Didn't you prepare right. that one. No, no, didn't no. Didn't prepare off for this cuff, interview. Off the cuff. Nothing is worse than when you can tell someone's prepared for a podcast interview oh and or like a radio thing and they've like, they're trying to elbow in their agenda of yeah. what they want to say. No, no. I think in 20 minutes you'll elbow in something, but I'm going to, a bit is on the, I'm just finding an in for I'll my bit, for my prepared bit. Did it feel like things were going well? in those first couple of years of being in L.A.? No. Oh, my God. It was a disaster. I had $7 for like four years. Yes, I heard. Yeah. Something about going I've to 7 I've talked about that before. This is good. This means at least I'm not a pathological liar. No, but I'm but also you a broken were record. until 15. I was, yeah. I used to, oh, my gosh, you know so much about me. What's the biggest surprise that you came across? That I like talking to you. Really? Yeah. Just, <laughs> you mean like today? Did you think I was going to be super annoying? It's just so funny. It's just, a, you set me up for it. You just set me up for it. <laughs> because I'm, one, I'm not going to genuinely answer that question. Such a casual roast. <laughs> Such a casual Come on. roast. Um, you say things didn't go well for you, but. No. Um, I what, mean, why would they? I mean, why should they? Why would they? Well, I don't I'm going to tell you, that. they did go well because in three years, you were named one of the 10 comics to watch in Variety. Uh, that was in 2007. It took three years for that to happen. Um, actually, I think we should watch something. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stop this immediately. Abort. What's happening? Oh, God. I'm... Here we are. Hi. Uh, so my last name is Cummings. Uh, people always make fun of me about that. But whatever. It's just a stage name, you know? My real last name is Donkey Punch. I I didn't always want to be a comedian. Um, I think most people growing up want to be something like an astronaut or like a ballerina or something, you know. I initially actually wanted to be a pina colada so my mom would pay attention to me. (laughs) Yeah, she's a big drinker. She got me started early. I remember my first hangover, too much breast milk. Yeah, it was last week. um, I actually think that's why I became a comedian, because our house had a two-drink minimum. That's sort of 
I quit drinking though, because every time I drink, I end up doing something stupid. You know, like last time I got really drunk, I ended up getting a tattoo. <laughs> and I still can't find it. <laughs> no That's not my fault. I was, I was drinking at this bar, and like I ran to my ex-boyfriend there, which was so stupid. Like I should have known he was going to be there, you know? Because I followed him there. <laughs> and, um, and he invited me to his wedding. And like, I don't want to go to my ex-boyfriend's wedding. That's ridiculous, you know? Everyone's going to think I'm trying too hard. So I just got like a really conservative dress, you know? It's just like long. It's like, it's like all white. Um, you know, a little veil. No, I have to buy them a gift. That's I don't understand why we have to buy people stuff when they get married, when they have a baby, and when they buy a house. It's like, why do I have to buy a present every time you make a mistake? <laughs> no one got me a present when I bought a neon. I really thought that was a neon. What am I just slamming cars I couldn't even afford back then? I would have fucking sucked a dick for a neon back then. Who do I think I am? <laughs> and what is that sandlot haircut? Oh, oh God. I got. I remember getting that hoodie at Anthropology, and it was on sale. It was a big. I thought that was like my comedy hoodie. I wore it all the time, mm-hmm. and I put my hand in it to be like, look casual. <laughs> Don't look like you're trying. You like that's what people like. They just want you to be saying things. Just put your hand in. I remember I'd only wear hoodies with pockets because I was like, you just want to look like you're just don't give a shit. That's yeah. what the people want. <laughs> I like th- that was traumatizing. I, just, I feel like I did get my legal counsel involved trying to get that clip off the internet, and here it is. Really? Yeah. You have a cease and desist coming into your inbox. Okay. ASAP. I can handle it. Oh my god, I'm sweating. That was really stressful. Not bad for first year doing comedy. I thought it was pretty funny. It's jokes, though. It's jokes. Those are jokes. What's going through your head watching that? I think, like, I'm rooting for that girl, you know? Like, I was working, I was trying so hard to make it in comedy. I mean, that was like, I was doing four spots a night, going to, like, Hermosa, Pasadena, comedy store like waiting for three hours to go up at an open mic for two minutes like i i i see rudy rudy (laughs) like i'm like rooting for her i'm rooting for her to like stop doing jokes and to figure out who she is and what her opinions are because that's actually funnier than jokes but i'm i'm you know back then there were no women on the line like that was I'm, i'm i couldn't i probably couldn't do that now can do one now. Like, I mean, just, I don't, that was a weird thing to say. I just mean, like, there's a lot. the hustle. I'm more nervous going on stage now than that girl was. Really? Yeah. And maybe it's just because people maybe know me a little bit and the bar's a little higher and I'm like, oh God, no, I have to be extra good. I can't fuck up. I can't fuck around. I can't make mistakes. Um, but it, it is it is sort of cute looking at that because... I wasn't listening to audience response at all. Like today, if a joke doesn't do well, I'm like, oh, what? What the fuck was that? That was a fucking, like, I'll engage about it. Whereas she was just like, you were zooming. Say your jokes. Just no, keep no. saying the thing you memorized. You, yeah, you were like the kid who memorized the speech <laughs> right. going up and you're like, oh, that wasn't interesting. It doesn't matter. It's, no, no, no. It's, no. it's bullet point number three on my note card here. So I need to finish it. There was no listening in that. No, there's no listening. She's just saying. But they're good jokes. They're good jokes, but that's not what comedy is. Comedy's not good jokes. Okay. So I see someone who's not listening and who hadn't, doesn't know who she is yet. 
And it makes me think this is kind of a therapeutic exercise because it makes me realize I have kind of come a long way, mm-hmm. you know, because I have those same notes for myself today sometimes. Like, ah, you weren't listening in that moment. You checked out and just started, you know, cringe. I almost threw my neck out cringing at myself. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but that's how you start. You know, it's like it doesn't matter the first couple of years you're doing comedy. It doesn't matter what you're saying. You're just getting comfortable on stage. Yeah. You're just like figuring out a way to not. I just yourself. like that you said I would have sucked dick for a neon. <laughs> the fa- who the fuck did I think I was back then? I, I, you, I think you actually had more self-confidence than you think. Well, those are I think there's a difference between confidence and self-esteem. And I okay. sometimes have confidence, but that doesn't mean I have self-esteem. Because those are obviously such, like, jokey jokes. Because it's like, my ex-boyfriend's getting married. That's bullshit. I didn't date guys who were capable of <laughs> commitment back then. Like, what? none of those setups are true. I watched one. I watched a money shot. Oh, God. That's my first special. That's from 10 years ago. I watched it last night. Why? Like, that's well, awful. You, know, you got to do your research. You, shouldn't, you should have watched my new special. Why didn't you have that? I did watch that. Oh, okay. We haven't got to that yet. Okay, we will. That is also good. Thank it's you. all good, Whitney. Thank you. Even that, although you're not listening, <laughs> and you're driving, you know, you know, you, you know, you don't, you, you know how you see old people driving on the road. <laughs> it's like how they drive, and they there's no consideration. No. But they often get to where they're going. Sometimes you got to just steamroll. You steamrolled. Because I think for me back then, if I had heard no laughs, I would have just left the club and slowly walked into the ocean. Mm. So I think maybe my psyche knew you're not. mentally fit enough you wrote something in your book that i thought was good uh you wrote for most of my 20s i don't know why you're laughing i thought it was good you're endearing you're funny okay for most of my 20s i rewrote the writing on the wall and frankly it's a miracle that as a result i'm not in court trying to get custody of my seven kids from numerous very handsome malignant narcissists a Uh term you used earlier yeah as a person what do you make of yourself and when you're in your 20s I just a mess, you know. I, I, and I mean, look, that's. I, I know we just did this whole thing where I'm self-deprecating, but I, I really was fighting battles that I had lost 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like, you know, one of my favorite Al-Anon's things people say is like, "The war is over, you lost." You know, I'm still like shadow boxing, like you know that, like the, um, <laughs> you know, the guy. What was it? The Japanese guy who didn't know the world war was over and he was <laughs> under a rock for like 50 years, still like ready to fight. Yeah. You know that that is very much me in my 20s. And but I also was like, I didn't grow up with money. And I just I I also think it's okay to be able to say, like, I just wanted to make money. And I was just desperate at all costs to be able to pay my bills. Um, I also was in the throes of like love addiction shit. You know, Mm -hmm. addiction runs in my family. And I have did not get the alcoholic for substances or drugs. Um, I kind of got the Al-Anon disease, which is the relationship shit so I was in a lot of really toxic exhausting draining relationships were drugs never part of it for you they really weren't I only and and as my Al-Anon disease manifested in like I only did drugs to try to make drug addicts like me (laughs) to try to fit in with the drug addicts so you're doing drugs you don't even want to do it's Mm -hmm. like a form of people pleasing you're like yeah this heroin is so great like oh fuck um uh, by the way never did heroin yeah no kidding I just (laughs) you just drank the heroin and I'm not saying I've done heroin. I haven't. I just mimed drinking heroin. I know heroin. enough that you don't drink heroin. 
Um, That's like a me is like a fr- wasn't heroin in like drinks in the twenties? Maybe that was like a flapper. Don't don't try pre- to give me a history lesson <laughs> that you're making up on the fly. This isn't drunk history, okay? Because you can't you can't disagree with me on air. No, that would make I, you look like the dick. No, no, maybe it's possible. <laughs> It's, maybe it's possible. Me being a dick is fine. I'm okay with that. You're, I feel like it's, I feel like, I can't picture you being a dick. You're very charming. Oh, no, 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 it happens. You can be? Oh, come on. Come on. I don't know anything about you. Yeah, but we're humans. Are we? No. <laughs> or, we're doing so well. Or, we don't have to. <laughs> or are we? A, yeah. I got it really into like, are we a a video game projection yeah. the other day. Um, that feels like a Joe Rogan podcast. Yes, it does. It does. It does. I'll save it. Um, but yeah, I, I think in, I was very much, um, I worked really, really hard, uh, not smart in my 20s. I was so desperate to make it and I didn't even know what it was back then. Um, it was I, financial security. It really was. It was financial security. It was, I just wanted to be good at comedy. And it's it's interesting because my goals were actually pretty small. Um, I just wanted to be good being good at comedy was really hard for me because to be a good comic, you really have to master a lot of your demons. And that was the hardest part. Getting on stage, writing jokes, like that was the easy part for me. But I realized I really had to be able to be authentic, be able to like make eye contact with people, like shit that I just like never got, shit that I never learned. I had to like pick an opinion. Like, so, you know, my shit was so much like, oh, you're into, um, punk rock I'm into punk rock you're into country music I'm into country I was like a shapeshifter just because I wanted people to like me so badly but that doesn't work in comedy you have to have a really specific opinion you have to say what you mean you have to mean what you say and you have to be okay with people disagreeing with you you have to want people to laugh at you but you can't need people to like you yeah but isn't that it's gendered right I mean Bill Burr when he when he started I've seen every special he's done. Mm-hmm. I think he's very funny. He's yeah. funny from the beginning, but he yeah. also didn't have to work to be like, you know, he have to, you, everyone has to work to be accepted, but it's just a lot easier when it's a bunch of men accepting yeah, other yeah, men. Yeah. And, you know, I, I here's an interview from 2011 that you did with the New York Times. Was this the guy that got fired because he was so sexist in his questions? It's possible. Andrew the Goldman. One yes, he got fired over this interview. September 16th, 2011, in the New York Times, it's an article called There is No Escaping Whitney Cummings, which is ominous and weird. <laughs> you uh, have two things happening. Uh, Whitney, your show that's coming out, and then uh, Two Broke Girls, which you co-created. It's a big moment. I mean, it's arguably the probably the biggest moment in your career to that point sure right? of course I mean, yes because your special was in 2010 the first one I had done a special by then I had done a bunch of roasts but yeah to this get, is huge to get two TV shows on it and this is not when women were starring in shows this is not when women were creating shows and that was like popular yeah so he asked on those Comedy Central roasts your fellow comedians like to joke about how you slept your way to fame how accurate is that criticism one that question's insane two he pretends that jokes are criticism, which is also insane. By the way, this is a man who, when he called me, it was six in the morning. I had to get up because I was on New York Times. It was like my first interview ever. I remember I'm outside my house. I'm like, I'm about to talk to the New York Times. I was like so excited. I like dressed up for the call. I was like so excited. Of course, no one sees you. Totally. I had like a blazer and I was like, hello. Of course. I was such a naive moron. And I pick up the phone and he goes, hey, it's whatever his name is, Andrew. And he's like, "Um, yeah, so my wife is obsessed with you. I don't really get it, but she loves you. Um, And mind you, I think I was 27, 
28. Like I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know to go, oh, that's inappropriate or like. That's what I, so I want to ask you about this because I'm reading your answers and I'm like, wow, the the Whitney Cummings that I've tried to understand through three interviews and a book, um, you know, it's not, it's not a total reflection of you, but I did think, God, I can't imagine she would accept that. Oh, I, I was totally had no, I, I, that is a time where I was so naive about journalism. I was like, oh, well, they want, you know, like we're friends. Like I'm not going to get thrown under the bus. Like why would mm-hmm. he want, you know, like it just, why would you want to interview someone if you didn't like them or thought they were a slut or whatever he thinks yeah. is going on or doesn't understand the concept of that jokes are jokes? Like I, I, it didn't occur to me that a journalist could be wrong Yeah. or offensive or unfair. That was just not something I understood because I had never done press before. Plus you also want it to go well. I mean, you're going into it thinking, God, this is the thing and this is the first big interview I want. You're just hoping it goes well. And I think I'm used to, you know, look, all my friends are comics and all we do is bust each other's balls and rib each other. You know, so for me, it also it's not an immediate red flag when someone insults me because in comedy, that's kind of love. I'm not saying it's healthy, but, you know, yeah. we're like, hey, asshole, what up? You, you know, like, who you, you know, like. No, you called me Barry White. I thought it was but funny. <laughs> you have an unbelievably <laughs> sexual tone. It's unreal. Um, but <laughs> so to me, it was just like the context. I, I wasn't able to put it together quickly enough. Like this wasn't a comedian busting my balls. This was like a professional journalist yeah. for one of the most reputable, <laughs> yeah. you know, companies in the world. And it was also 6 a.m. And I think I just, I, I hadn't yet gotten a handle on my crippling need for approval. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was just like, make a joke, make a joke. When someone insults you, you make a joke out of it. And I, I like laugh. My response was to laugh. Yeah. Well, the laughs are not in I here. was nervous. You respond to the question politely and you say, do you know uh, an example of anyone who's ever slept with a producer or, or whatever that has gotten them anywhere? And he comes back blazing. Your friend Chelsea Handler got her show while she was going out with the head of Comcast, E's parent company. And that's when I almost broke my computer last night. (laughs) And you politely are like, wow, you do your homework. (laughs) I was stunned. I was stunned. I panicked. I panicked. And then what did I say? Um, But Chelsea is really great. The real deal. She got there because of her talent. I mean, the normal things. Uh, I make very bad dating decisions. However, uh, uh, I'm the one who's dating the craft service guy instead of the producer. Like deflecting, deflecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, if a producer is going to date a hot young thing, I'm probably not the first person on on their list. The weird, quirky, funny girl again. Well, I just, I, I don't. You're just trying to get out of it. I think I was just trying to get out of it. And it's also like, you know, I think that was so devastating to me because you can say whatever you want about me, like, and people do. One thing you cannot say is that I'm lazy. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that you cannot say is that I don't work hard. You know, so for someone to go like, so did you sleep your way to the top? It's like, dude, I did seven spots last night. Like I, I worked till four in the morning every night. Like that is, I think, and sometimes people say it in a pejorative way and that's totally fine because I think women in ambition have sort of a tricky you know those words have you know become a little bit like of a yucky thing for Mm -hmm. a woman to be ambitious it's like she's conniving or she's you know power hungry or whatever when people say that I always feel a little bit like weird inside but um say what you want but like one thing you cannot say is that I don't 
work my ass off. Yeah. <laughs> so for a New York Times journalist to be like, so who'd you fuck to get where you are? It's like, what? It was, it's maddening. It's like nuts. It's like, I don't have time to fuck producers because I'm working too hard on my jokes. This is the last thing I'll read from it. Um, Norm MacDonald was pretty hostile towards you in an interview s- saying, hey, guess what? There's a young girl that's middling attractive that swears a lot. Let's get her. Suggesting you were an inferior version of Sarah Silverman, which... Which I am. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, you guys are very different. I mean, yeah, we're different, but, you know, if I tried to do what she did, I would be the inferior version of her. This thing is a different sport. Yeah, oh, totally. I think you're doing a different thing. Totally, and also... I mean, that's just such a weird, such a weird criticism because it's like when I started, Sarah was my hero. I mean, she had been doing comedy for 20 years. Like Mm -hmm. to say that we're even in the same echelon is just bad math. But um, but I love Norm. We we did talk about that once. And I don't know. I'm I'm such a comedy fan. And Norm was a hero of mine. Even hearing someone I love insult me, I'm like, that's a pretty good joke. (laughs) Like I'm kind of on his side. I've said things about people that I regret or don't or whatever but I don't know that just didn't I love Norm I have nothing bad to say about him so when it goes really well in Mm -hmm. 2011 the show is canceled and uh, two years after that Mm -hmm. which by the way is I mean most shows don't get picked up at all I don't I think it's impressive it was just such a big ad campaign that I think it was like such a big you know it just felt like a bigger fall than it should have been it's like two years of a show like I was actually, you know, and it's everyone's going to go, well, of course she's going to say that. But like I had, you know, the character that I put in that show was a very broken person. And I if I kept working on that character, I think it was like stunting my growth because I was kind of outgrowing the character a little bit. And she had to stay fucked up in order for there to be stories. And it just was like, OK, that feels like a good time yeah. to call it. No, you you could have done like a, a Gary Shandling, Larry Sanders, six years of it and then I think he had to like really leave to figure that stuff out. All my favorite shows went two years. Not that I had I known it had been two years. That's all I was going to have. I would have crafted it very differently, but that's all. Yeah. I, I'm not so interested in like, oh, it got canceled and all that. I'm, I'm more curious uh, about how did you feel about yourself and your career at that point? I think I was just so grateful to be able to pay, being able to pay bills. I think also at the time, and maybe this is not the answer you're looking for, and just tell me if it's a bad one. If it's an honest answer, it's what I'm looking for. Okay. So I had a lot of personal tragedy in my life, like essentially right when the shows got picked up. I had to put a family member, went into rehab and was very sick. And then my mom had a stroke. So I was, you know, writing the show during the day in the writer's room, shooting it, and then like going to rehabs at night and like trying to get my mom, like figure out how the brain worked to figure out how her stroke was going to affect her and trying to find her nursing home. And then my dad had a stroke like six months later. So I was kind of in the throes of like personal tragedy. So I was like, it took the focus off myself and the good press, the bad press, the pressure, the all of it. And I hadn't had the tools really to deal with people yet. I didn't have the tools yet to go like, you know what? No, we're not going to do that. We should do this instead. Mm. I was very much like, that's a great idea. Let's try it. Even though I didn't think it was. Yeah, I just I was such a people pleaser at the time. And I was so worried about the writers liking me and not feeling rejected because I don't like being rejected Um, Mm. or I couldn't fire anyone. Um, I had like a septic infection at one point. (laughs) Like I was I was really falling apart. And I also was in and I think a lot of people know this and maybe this is if this is a bummer, just tell me to move on. Um, I had eating disorders, which I'm pretty public about, I think, but it was pretty bad around that time 
because I was also literally just stressed out and scared. And you what know, does that look like? Um, gorgeous. <laughs> um, That's okay. It's thank you. You can do that. Thank you. Um, it <laughs> it's about control. And they tend to flare up when you're feeling out of control. And I was feeling very out of control at the time. I wasn't in control of how people perceived me, if people liked the show or they didn't, if we were going to get more episodes, if we were going to lose writers and the actors and were they mad at me? Are they getting enough lines? Like the whole thing. How was my performance? And so that was something I was kind of struggling with as well. How did you get through it? Fear, adrenaline, just... Yeah, I think the whole thing. I mean, I was really lucky. I had a couple people, like, I had a couple people come into my life and really help me. Like, Peter Berg randomly came into my life, and he was friends with one of the producers and kind of explained to me a couple really crucial things that I didn't know. Like, you need to write the first epi- three episodes so the writers understand the target. Like, there's th- certain things that when you make a TV show, nobody tells you. Uh. But I, I don't know if I got through it, like, unscathed. I survived it. I don't know if I got through it. Did you ever think, like, I don't know if I can keep doing this? I think there was definitely some, I don't know if I can keep doing this this way, you know? And second season, we kind of, I think I knew a little bit more. But I remember thinking things like, ah, oh, like, this would have made so much more sense on CBS, <laughs> where they have all their multicams, you know? Because it was also at a time where... Multicams were not particularly in vogue in, like, the critic circle, mm. but they were very in vogue in America. Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men, like, those were the biggest shows. But I think we were after The Office or something, like, just, like, the best single cam show ever. It was, like, The Office, 30 Rock, and then, like, here comes Whitney, like, the dorky uncle, like, hey, guys, like, what's the deal? Here comes Whitney. Yeah, it was just, like, here she comes, great, silly Whitney. Like, it was just, like, <sighs> yuck. Comedy, no. Were you ready to move on once it was over? To to really just go back to doing stand up in a lot of ways. Yeah, I really was. I think I I I don't think stand ups are designed. If you're neurologically, your brain is catered to making drunk strangers laugh. You shouldn't stop for too long. For the most part, I feel insane all the time, and then I do stand up, and I go like, "This annoys me," and everyone goes, "Ha ha!" And I go, "Oh my god, I'm not the only one." It just makes you feel less alone, mm-hmm. you know. I think comics tend to be pretty lone wolf isolators, and socializing is hard for me. But is it really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? I'm awkward. You seem okay. Really? Well, we are. This is on some level, you know, performative. Kind of. Right. You know, so when we but if if we didn't have microphones here, this would be the weirdest conversation ever. We have some big questions before we have to leave. Oh, fuck. Okay. You know, in your new special, uh, which I thought was very good. Thank you. Really? Yeah, I did. Did you feel attacked? Do I feel attacked? (laughs) No. Did you feel attacked by it? No. That's huge. What am I to feel attacked about? Well, I just mean like I think that a lot of people think I like go after men or something. This is a generational thing probably. And I hate to bring up age, but mm-hmm. I don't think people my age um, don't, I don't think they're going to see that as attacking. I think they're like, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I know that person. This one, I try to be very fair. That's an uncle. Um, yeah, no, no. I thought you were very fair. Um, and you're talking about a whole bunch of things. Uh, one that I think is uh, integral to our conversation is you're like, for the longest time, and since this is coming out after the special, I, I hope you don't mind that I'm Please. quoting. For the longest time, no one asked women, uh, like, what they were thinking. Yeah. And and so now, like, the group has to, like, regroup 
and figure out what the fuck we want to talk about. Um, what do you make genuinely, just as a person, not as a woman, as a person, what do you make of the movement, the climate that we're in right now? What do I make of it? God, that's a very intense question. Um, I didn't mean to be so intense. No, please. I mean, it's, it's you know, I have a feeling I'm going to get in trouble no matter what I say. That's the climate we're in. <laughs> um, look, I'm not a, like, PC culture's ruining comedy person. I'm not that guy at all. I think, like, there's... I, I think for me the biggest thing about this moment is, like, I am excited to see what progress is what progress is actually <laughs> manifesting into institutional change and what's performative in Instagram progress. You know, I just, I don't think we know yet what mm-hmm. is actually going to translate into equal pay and fair treatment. And, you know, I just don't know because I think, and a lot of LA New York people might kind of like scoff at some of the things I say in my special because when I was traveling around the country and talking about Me Too and harassment and, trying to find a way to say it in a way that's with levity but still responsible or interesting um, and progressive. Like, I mean, a lot of people, I got, I got some amazing heckles from, you know, women that were, you know, of all different ages, but outside of New York and L.A. who, like, I would talk about, like, sexual harassment and this one woman just yelled, take the compliment and move on. You know, it, it was kind of news to me that there were some women that were just like, oh, really? A bunch of white millionaires are getting their ass grabbed in the peninsula who gives a shit a lot of waitresses were like flirting is how we get tips like sex is the only power we have you're going to take that from us Mm -hmm. you know so i just seeing hearing so many different points of view about it outside of new york and la was very educational for me because we're in our bubble we're in our echo chamber and you know just kind of how white this has been and i went to the you know women's march and didn't see any black women there. I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. and something to think about. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. And so I just think this is a moment where, you know, we just have to figure out what's real, what's performative, what's for Instagram likes, what's real progress. And I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not a part of a performative, I'm going to pat myself on the back mm. thing. And I do think it's really important to be able to say, and I'm sure I'm going to get some shit for this, but like, I think that, you know, a lot of the guys that I know are shutting down because no one's able to say like, yeah, that girl's a little nuts, (laughs) you know? And right now it's like one woman speaks for all women and it's like all women against all men. And I think that that's unhealthy. I think the bad men and the bad women versus the good men and the good women is Mm -hmm. is a more... Um, fair way to approach all this. I knew we were in trouble the moment um, Dave Chappelle did a new special, and I felt uncomfortable telling people that you thought it was funny. That I thought it was really good. That's outrageous because of the which because of a specific joke. Mainly the bird revelation one, yeah. which I thought was the best piece of. But just I just, I don't, I, I think that, I, I think, sorry. And I think that when you said this climate, I went straight to me too, but it's, I, I, it's part and part. It's all. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, you know, do, I don't know. I just think that like funny's funny's funny. And even if I don't agree with you, I mean, Richard Pryor talked about beating his wife, you know, do I think men should beat their wives? No, you know, but I think, do I think someone should do that joke now? 
I mean, no, I think you should probably go to jail if you're beating your wife. But, you know, I think, I don't know. I just, I think we are so... But that was a different time. It was a different time, but we are so drunk on our self-righteousness and our sanctimonious thoughts that I think we're just so addicted to... I think drunk's a nice word. I think poisoned. Poisoned, yeah. We are, and I think we're... Um, that's probably a better way to put it, but I think we are so get off so hard right now on watching like snitching and watching other people fail and hating on people. Um, you know, that I, I, I just, you know, that's a shame. You know, uh, we've talked a lot, uh, in the last hour about, and we have to go like, no. yeah. So a couple things, two things. We've talked a lot about how uh, in your 20s, you had some some love addiction stuff. Yeah. We talked a lot about love in general. Do you have a lot of... your? I bet your listeners are very young. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's like 28 to 45. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Older than I me. think love addiction is something that is just so important to talk about because I don't think a lot of people... It's just not in our zeitgeist. You know, a lot of people in toxic relationships can't get out of them, you know cheating you know all that stuff i think love addiction is such a big joy killer and Mm. life burglar and time vampire and it took me as soon as i identified that way it just it changed my life but you're in love right now right i'm in love right now yeah how how is that wild i mean it sounds great it's great and i think for me and this is gonna sound crazy it took me a long time to realize that for me love should be kind of boring you know, love is not exhausting and depleting. Well, because we have all these socially constructed words like it's passion, it's butterflies. You should be like obsessing over all these mm. like movies that glorify that love is supposed to be a 24-7. You can't eat. You don't sleep. You are, you're up all night. That is not love. That is infatuation. That's obsession. That's probably love addiction. That's endorphins and, you know, oxytocin and adrenaline and cortisol. Like that's just a neurochemical disaster. And I lost years of my life to love addiction, but I just thought it was love. There's a lot of people who love whiskey. That doesn't mean they should be in a relationship with it. There's a lot of people that love hair. The heroin you drink doesn't mean they should use it. <laughs> I want to eat pizza every night for dinner. That doesn't mean I should, you know. So the person I'm with, I'm super in love with, but it's not depleting or exhausting or like the can't live without you. You should be able to live without someone. <laughs> mm. If you can't live without someone, that's not love. That's addiction. So you feel good. I feel good. I feel calm. I feel accepted. I feel peace. And I think for me, love is being with someone where you are the best version of yourself when you're with them. And I thought I was in love so many times and I was a freaking wreck and I was making horrible decisions. I was destroying my friendships. I was an irrational, like I was self-tanning every day. Like love is not a daily audition for approval. Mm. <laughs> and I thought that was love is I want to be the best. I want to be the prettiest. I want to be the thinnest. I want to be in shape. I'm going to the gym every day. That's like someone that was making me feel really insecure and mm. like I wasn't enough. And I'm now with somebody where I can be a boring slob. I think um, not, not to get away from boring slob, which, which is, which is the wonderful. name of my next special. <laughs> I was not going to say that. I think you actually found a version of yourself that was pretty good um, as a kid because uh, at some point in your childhood, you uh, wander, I think, into your aunt's basement and find a typewriter. And on the typewriter... You Do you were... make people cry in these interviews? It's happened. Yeah. I'm not trying to. But on the typewriter, you wrote about um, racist band-aids. <laughs> 
and I did. poorly placed salad bars mm-hmm. at Sizzler, I think. The pudding always pissed me off. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. No one, it's the elephant in the living room of our culinary culture. No one's talking about it. Well, you, you as a kid finding that typewriter and writing something, isolating yourself and finding out your voice and who you are, when you look back on that and you now see where you're at now, are you happy with it? Yeah, I am. I, I I need that reminder more because I think for me now, and I don't mean to like blame Instagram culture, but you're constantly comparing yourself, you know. Um, that brings me a lot of pride because I think I spend so much time going like, oh, well, this person has that thing and I don't have this thing and I don't have as many followers or I don't have as many likes or like thinking about that kid with a typewriter like to now and getting paid to do it is pretty cool and I probably should focus more on that and what I come from and how impossible this all is instead of all the things I still need to do. Yeah. You know, and like all the wins everybody else has. Because I know people were probably looking at me that way. I was probably making people feel bad about themselves, like whatever, eight years or seven years ago or whatever. And now I'm, you know, you have me all scatterbrained now because that was that's overwhelming to think about. But yeah, I, I think for me, instead of comparing myself to other people, I should just compare myself to sort of what I come from and where I've, where I was and what I wanted. To get paid to write is all I ever wanted. To get paid to tell jokes, to get paid to be funny is all I wanted. And you're doing it. And I'm doing it. And I'm totally doing it. So that's all. Then I've won. You know, I have to like stay in that mindset because as soon as I leave here, I'll be like, but oh my God, Chrissy Teigen has a coking line. I need a, I need a guacamole maker line. Why don't I have that? You know, Tiffany Haddish has a spice collaboration or whatever. How come I'm not promoting spices? Like I'll find a way to make myself a failure. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, you don't do that as you leave here. And it's been a real joy having you for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's worth much. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. And it's not that you need my approval. I do. Yes, I do. That's why I'm here. No, I didn't but, drive to Highland Park to not get your approval. Well, you have it, but I think uh, I think you have it from yourself too. So try saying it every now and again. Thank you. Do you think, um, would you watch my special on a date? Would you Netflix and chill with my special? I don't, I don't generally watch stuff. On dates? Not really. Oh. I, yeah, it feels like. I'd rather just be alone watching stuff. That's a good point. But but you know what? Let me do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> Would you watch my special on a date, like a Netflix and show? A hundred percent. And I heard that it airs on Netflix. <laughs> it streams on Netflix. It's on July 30th. It came on. July 30th. Yeah, it's okay. on. It's available. Okay. Fight with your a girl you've been on for three dates. Watch my special. You guys will fight after. Uh, I think this will make people fight after it. The, the this podcast or the I, this podcast for sure, <laughs> um, but I think definitely uh, couples will fight afterwards. I heard one time um, gone, after Gone Girl, I I was so overwhelmed and angry after I watched that movie. <laughs> it's a tough movie. I couldn't stop talking about it. I was furious. I was fighting with strangers about it. First time I ever got on like a chat room to fight with strangers, and David Fincher said his goal for the movie is that couples would watch it and then fight in the car on the way home. Mm. I didn't, that's not why or how I wrote the special, but I just thought it was, I hope that everybody has different opinions about it. I think that's a good thing. You know, I think so too. Yeah, people will fight. 
Thank God. I'm glad we didn't fight, though. We so didn't. Thank you for coming. Or I'm just super passive aggressive. No. This has been a. Oh, wow. If you are, then I totally misread you the <laughs> it's entire a huge time. fight. Whitney Cummings, thank you so much. special thanks this week to the people at the lead company and Benton Ray to learn more about Whitney you can visit her personal site at WhitneyCummings.com if you'd like to check out her new comedy special it's called Can I Touch It and it is currently available to stream on Netflix to learn more about our show you can visit our site at TalkEasyPod.com there you'll find a whole host of conversations with people in comedy including Mary Holland Jeff Garland, Norman Lear, Alan Alda, Jenny Slate, Kate Berlant, Eric Andre, uh, and many, many more. This show of ours, which airs every Sunday morning, uh, can be streamed on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. As always, the show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, designed by Ian Chang, our associate producer is Caroline Reebok. Our social media is by Ghani Zur. Our music is by Dylan Peck and Jin Sang. And the show is produced by Neil Innes. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. Thank you for coming back. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, we are going to have an excellent fall and winter. And uh, I will see you back here next Sunday morning with Justin Simeon. Have a good week, everyone. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.